Welcome back to another episode of 80s Wrestling, the podcast. The only show that knows for sure which Hebner twin is the evil one. My name is Jumping Jay, and I'm joined with the fifth member of the Horsemen, Mr. Tommy Fierro. Tommy, how you doing? <laughs> I, I think I look forward to every week's episode just to see how you're going to introduce me. <laughs> you got you got so many nicknames, so many monikers, we'll never run out. Tommy, what's going on in the great state of New Jersey? Uh, as we record this on, on Thursday morning, it's snowing yet again here uh, today, and uh, the wife and daughter are both home, so uh, if you hear uh, me getting yelled at like Jay got yelled at on last week's episode, it's only because... <laughs> it's only because uh, they're home, but uh, I'm in the office right now, so everything should be okay. Uh, yeah, man, just coming off another uh, successful virtual signing this past Monday with Mr. Ron Simmons. And, man, Ron was such a great guest, and uh, we had a tremendous uh, amount of feedback and response from that signing. Uh, I know that you had a chance to – Watch it, Jay. Ron just was so personable, very down to earth. Was super uh, appreciative of all the fans tuning in. It was just, it was a really really good virtual signing. It, it was an unbelievable signing, and let's talk about Mr. Ron Simmons for a minute. One of the most intimidating looking professional wrestlers. Like the guy scares you when you look at him. He's still big, still tough, but what a humble, nice guy took the time to sign everyone's autographs, gave shout outs, told stories, and he was a fast signer. He wasted no time putting his signature on those photos. And so it moved fast, but I was tuned in. I was glued to the screen because he was so personable. How was he when the cameras were off behind the scenes? What was it like hanging out with Ron Simmons? Same same way as he was on camera. Super cool, super friendly. And I think that what you said, Jay, was uh, you, you hit the word perfectly, humble. He was very, very humble. Uh, I really, really enjoyed uh, having him this past Monday. And like you said, he was signing super fast, which was awesome for me because we have so many people that uh, send in stuff to get signed and order the pictures is that a lot of times, you know, it, it, it can go over three hours. We, we, we do a three-hour uh, time slot when we book talent for these events. And he actually, I believe, got done about 15 minutes before the show actually ended, which was awesome because uh, if you, you look at the Ted DiBiase one from last month, he went an hour over. So uh, it was, I was happy that he was signing quick. And, and Ryan, uh, the host of uh, our, our 80s wrestling virtual signings, which is now called the Monday Night Virtual, uh, I usually text him throughout the, the show saying, you know, no more questions right now or, you know, just have him sign. But, I mean, this this ran so smooth. And he was signing so quick that it was awesome. And uh, we're actually having another signing this coming Monday as well uh, on February 22nd with the Warlord and the Barbarian, the Powers of Pain. So if you'd like to order a personalized autograph picture of the Powers of Pain, you can head over to 80swrestlingcon.com now. You select the photo that you would like, and then you will tune into our Facebook page this coming Monday from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time. And the Facebook link is on the 80swrestlingcon.com page. 
and you can watch the Powers of Pain sign your photo live, hold it up for you, give you a shout out, and then we ship your photo out to you following the signing. So yeah, the Powers of Pain will be this Monday night. And the neat thing about the Powers of Pain is not only are they one of those iconic tag teams from the 80s, but both men had awesome singles career as well. And so not only will you be able to get a tag team picture, but you could get a single warlord or a single barbarian, correct, Tommy? Correct. And and it's funny that you said that about them having both singles careers because this this past Monday we had Ron and they had asked about his match with the Barbarian when he defended the title against the Barbarian. That was the main event. I believe it was of a Halloween Havoc. I could be mistaken, but that was a really good match. So yeah, you can get singles uh, photos of them signed or the tag team photo or get uh, one of each. A lot of people do that as well. And again, you can head over to eighties wrestling con.com now and order that and then tune in this Monday uh, to watch it. Tonight's episode of eighties wrestling. The podcast is going to be a really cool one, Jay, because a couple of weeks back we covered WrestleMania two. We broke down the whole card and gave our thoughts and opinions of it and got really, really, really good feedback from our listeners. They really enjoyed it. And several uh, since then have asked if we can cover WrestleMania three. Now me and Jay are like really bad karaoke singers. We take requests. So if you have them, keep them coming. Uh, but yeah, we're going to cover WrestleMania three today, right here on 80s rest of the podcast. I'm excited about this one, man. This is a big one. This is one of the most memorable WrestleManias. Some people arguably say this is the greatest WrestleMania of them all. Some say, it was the first WrestleMania that felt larger than life, that felt like a super, super big deal. We had WrestleMania 1 to kick everything off. WrestleMania 2 was a three-city event to follow it up. Come time for WrestleMania 3, they kind of understand how a big pay-per-view like this is supposed to run. And they went big. They went huge with this one. And a lot of people point to WrestleMania 3 as maybe the point where they started having an interest in pro wrestling if you grew up around that time period, that it was WrestleMania 3 that caught your attention. And so I'm excited to jump into it, Tommy. We're going to go match by match down the card, see if we can dust the cobwebs from our memories and talk about WrestleMania 3. Yeah, man. First, let's talk about just how big WrestleMania 3 was. And, and first, I want to start off by saying, personally, this was my favorite WrestleMania of all time, was uh, WrestleMania 3. And it was 93,173 fans. Now, I know throughout the years, there's been stories saying that that number is not 100% accurate. That was more like 80-some thousand but we're going on the show by saying it was 93,173 fans, which was the all-time indoor attendance record until 1999 when Pope John Paul II had an audience of 104,000 fans. Well, them and their fans are people. But just goes to show how big of an event WrestleMania three was. And check this out, Jay. That show in 1987, now remember, ticket prices were very cheap back then compared to what they are today. There was no 
thousand dollar front row chairs where you bring them home and all that stuff and probably general admission on the, the the cheap seats are probably i would say probably 15 bucks i don't have the numbers in front of me but tickets were really cheap back then they did for 1987 jay and you know the ticket prices weren't that high back then 1.6 million dollars live attendance gate for 1987 that's unheard of that that is unheard of and that uh that goes to show how big of a promotion how how great of a promoter Vince McMahon was now i've heard that he blacked out the pay-per-view ability to watch it in michigan so that if you lived in the surrounding area of this event the only way to see it live would be to go to the arena. Now, if that's true, what a marketing genius that is, because this was a must-see event, and if you couldn't watch it in your home, the only way to see it was to pay that $15 and get to the arena. I can see why the attendance was so big and why the gate was such a large number. That's amazing, Tommy. And you know what else is really even more amazing, Jay, is that now 1987, pay-per-view wasn't the – blockbuster it was in the 90s you know pay-per-view was still relatively new in 1987 compared to what it was 10 years later in 1987 for this event jay check this out 10.7 million dollars in pay-per-view revenue what makes this number even more impressive is that wrestlemania 3 was broadcasted on over 160 big screen closed circuit throughout North America as well. So fans had the opportunity to go see it live on closed circuit as well. So to do $10.7 million in 1987 for pay-per-view when you had all these other avenues to see it. And you know that the, the price for WrestleMania three in 1987 wasn't the, you know, the $60 that it is today for, for WrestleMania. So that number makes it even more impressive because I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I'm probably assuming that what Jay it was maybe maybe thirty dollars to order the pay per view with that. But that's an impressive impressive number for 1987. It is an impressive number, and you have to credit a lot of that attention probably to the main event. But the whole the whole card itself, the tagline's bigger, better, badder, and it definitely was. It was bigger. It was better. Buy rates attendance everything about this event was huge um and so i can't wait to get into it and break it down match by match with you tommy one thing i will say is last week's episode of of 80s wrestling the podcast i told the story about how i caught lanny poffo's frisbee and also caught ronnie garvin's towel probably even cooler than that jay i was live at the meadowlands arena in east rutherford new jersey for a superstars of wrestling taping when check this out Andre the Giant ripped off Hulk Hogan's shirt and cross I was there live for that it was taped at East Rutherford New Jersey at the Meadowlands Arena to build up WrestleMania 3 how cool is that I was there for that I saw it live as a kid you're talking the Piper's Pit where he ripped the crucifix off I was there. It was it was taped, you were it there. Was the Metal, it was filmed at the Meadowlands Arena in East Rutherford, New Jersey. That that whole because back then they would they would they would film several weeks of TV uh, during the Superstars of Wrestling tapings. So the whole build up for that Piper's Pit, where you know Hogan got uh, you know Hogan got the 
when, when was it? Andre got a trophy or something like that, and Hogan's was bigger. I don't, I don't remember. Yep. Nope. You're right. Yeah. That's how yeah, it went. Yeah. That that whole that whole segment, like those those three weeks of Piper's Pits that were taped, like that that led to him ripping off Hogan's cross. I was there. I saw all that stuff as a kid. It was taped uh, at the Meadowlands Arena when I was a kid. So I can say that I saw that live, which was amazing. You definitely wit- witnessed wrestling history. Let me ask you this. How far in advance did you see that from the rest of the world? I, I don't remember. I was, I was so young. In 1987, I was only 10 years old. Um, I, I, I don't remember, but I just remember being there and seeing that and, uh, just like you probably were at home watching on TV, Jay, you were probably shocked and you were scared for Hulk Hogan. And, and, and the, the same, uh, I, I do remember the reaction of the crowd. Uh, there was kids crying in the audience. Uh, and even the parents like had shocked looks on their faces. I, I do remember, I, I, I was so young. I, I just do remember, though, that it was like a, you can hear a pin drop in the arena after it happened. And just everyone was completely shocked. But, yeah, I was there for the buildup uh, to that that they taped. That was, it was really, really cool. All right, let me ask you this, Tommy. Were you going to school and telling your friends what you saw? Like, did they believe you? Because they had not seen it yet on TV. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a good question, man. I, I don't remember that, but I do remember it felt so weird as a kid seeing stuff happen before it was broadcast on TV. I think that was the first time I was ever at a TV taping as a kid. Well, I mean, back then there was, there was no internet. There was no, you know, way of finding out information like, like the fans do today. So, you know, we didn't know. I mean, at least I didn't know. I don't think you knew it either as a kid that these events were taped a month in advance or, you know, they would tape for three, four weeks of TV in one day. Like, we, I didn't know that as a kid. I'm sure you didn't either. So no. being there live to see that, like it was, I was like, man, <laughs> you'd be, there's like 30 matches. Like, whoa, man, this is a super show, 30 matches. But yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> no, that's unbelievable, man. That's unbelievable that you were there to witness that firsthand. Yeah, it was awesome, man. So yeah, I guess let's kick off WrestleMania three, which uh, again was my favorite WrestleMania of all time. The opening match of the show saw the Can Am Connection of Rick Martel and Tom Zink defeating Bob Orton and the Magnificent Morocco with Mr. Fuji. Can Am Connection, you don't really hear much about them. They had a really short uh, run in the WWF, and then obviously. Zinc got swiped out for Tito Santana, and they became Strike Force. What was your take on the Can-Am connection, Jay? I'm a fan of Tom Zink. Uh, I liked his work in WCW once he ended up there, but I thought him and Rick Martel were a good team. I mean, they looked similar. They had similar builds, uh, both good-looking guys, athletic. I liked their team. I liked their chemistry. But like you said, they had a very short-lived run in the World Wrestling Federation. And obviously, Rick Martel went on to have just an awesome career uh, as a heel later on. And like I said, Tom ended up in WCW and did some good stuff there. But very short-lived, I would have liked to have seen that team have a little bit longer of a run together to see if they could really uh, do some damage in the World Wrestling Federation. What was your thoughts on the Can-Am connection? Same. I I liked them as a kid. It it was was very short-lived, like you said. One thing that strikes me now looking back at it as an adult is you know rick martell originally was in the wwf back in 
1980 to 1982. And, you know, he even captured the tag team titles with Tony Gurria. So he had tag team success early in the WWF. And then he went to the AWA, and that's when he got his, his big push and break. He became the AWA World Heavyweight Champion. And that was, you know, he was in AWA from 82 to 86. Now, when he returns to the WWF in 86, he is formed again with the Can-Am connection. I, I don't know. I, 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 I think, you know, after that big run he had as the AWA World Champion and the AWA, yeah, he would return with a, you know, a little bit higher up on the card, but they threw him right back into the tag team, uh, right back into the tag teams and with Tito as well, eventually he became the model. And that was his big break in WWF. But I don't know. I, I just think coming off of being the AWA world champion, AWA was big at the time. I think that they could have probably found a better spot for him than th- that tag team. You know, I wonder about things like that as well. Being from Minnesota, obviously the AWA is big around here. Um, and so you wonder, but I don't know if just the World Wrestling Federation was such a big machine at the time that they already were making their own stars. And so Vince just wanted to kind of plug in these guys somewhere else. Rick was obviously a very talented wrestler, a great tag team wrestler. Like he understood the mindset of a tag team wrestler. But like you said, when he went on to become the model, he had one heck of a singles career. And so I think he could have carried a more prominent role earlier on. Um, but I'm not upset that he started as a tag team wrestler. I think he did it well, but it's always interesting to, it would be interesting to know the conversations that took place behind the scenes from a booking standpoint, when a guy like Rick Martel was coming into the company. I agree. I couldn't agree more. Uh, next up was a double countout, which featured Billy Jack Haynes against Hercules with uh, Bobby, the brain Heenan. I, another quick story for you. I saw this match as a kid at William Patterson College in Wayne, New Jersey. It was the main event, actually. It was a chain match uh, between the two. And I just remember as a kid, these guys just being a bloody mess. I was ringside, too, for it. And just, like, beating the crap at each other with a chain. And, and that stands out to me as a kid, a memory that I have. Uh, Billy Jack's another one who, who could have probably been – higher up on the card in the WWF that it just, it just never materialized for him. You know, what I liked about this match is both of these guys had solid builds, you know, and this was, I think, promoted as the full Nelson challenge. And both of these guys, they had good bodies, good physiques. They were both strong guys. So I liked the matchup here. I don't know much about Billy Jack Haynes, to be honest with you. Like you said, his career wasn't very was short-lived, especially when you're a young kid, you're not picking up on the short-lived careers in the 80s. You're more sticking around with the guys that, that hang on longer. But I will tell you, I love Hercules. I think they could have done more with him throughout his career. Billy Jack had a similar build. Uh, and so I liked the gimmick part of the match. I liked that it was a good on paper, and when you see the two guys, it looks like it would be an equal match because both of them are big powerhouse-type guys. And so I do like that. Well, if you like the gimmick part of the match, you'll definitely like the gimmick part of the next match because it was Hillbilly Jim teaming up with the Haiti Kid and Little Beaver against King Kong Bundy, Little Tokyo, and Lord Littlebrook. We mentioned this a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about uh, WrestleMania 2, how Bundy was the main event of WrestleMania 2, and he comes back a year later, and now he's in this mixed uh, six-man with midgets. Uh, Talk about falling down the ladder, we had mentioned. 
Um, but, you know, it, it was an attraction. Like we, we also mentioned a couple of weeks back here on the show, you know, we never really seen two big wrestlers team up with two midget wrestlers before. So it was an attraction. It, it added to the show, in my opinion, especially when you look out and just see a, a sea of fans, uh, you know, at, at the Pontiac Silverdome. And uh, this match ended in a disqualification when King Kong Bundy body slammed uh, one of the midgets, which led to the DQ. I think it was a fun match for what it was. Listen, I think this is my first exposure to midget wrestling. I don't think I'd seen it prior to this point. And when you have Hillbilly Jim, who was billed at 6'7", and King Kong Bundy billed at 6'4", these guys were giants in the ring compared to the midget wrestlers that were in the ring with them. And so just to see the oddity, the contrast in heights and bodies of these wrestlers was something that caught your eye. But then you're immediately intrigued by the athleticism and the quickness of the midget wrestlers. Like you're blown away at how fast they move and the moves they do in contrast to the slower moving King Kong Bundy. So it was just a real like, treat for the senses of kind of watching how this match would unfold. And then an interesting note about this match after Bundy body slams, little beaver, he drops an elbow on his chest. Now urban legend is that, that he was not supposed to drop that elbow that the other midget wrestlers were supposed to come in and, and drag him away before that, but they were late to getting to their cue. And so Bundy didn't want to make it look like he was pulling back. And so he dropped the elbow and I'm like, could you imagine being Little Beaver and seeing King Kong Bundy <laughs> dropping an elbow on you? Jay, you're a walking encyclopedia. You know everything, man. Listen, I've learned in life that if you just say something with enough authority and belief that people will buy it. <laughs> but no, I'm kidding. That's I've heard that urban legend that he wasn't supposed to drop that elbow. But he was worried that if he didn't, it would let on to the fact that maybe it's a work because King Kong Bundy would not show mercy to his opponent. And so he said they were late getting in. And so he made a quick split second decision to drop that elbow. And I'm like, Oh my word. I'll have well, to go back was, and watch it to see if he laid it in or if he at least, you know, feather on the chest type thing. It, it was effective. That's for sure. The next match up is a match. I would like to take you on in Jay. And that is a loser must bow match between Harley race who had Bobby, the brain Heenan and, Oddly enough, the fabulous Moolah in his corner against the Junkyard Dog. And uh, Harley Race won this one, and JYD had to bow to him after the match. What's your, what's your take on this match, Jay? I feel like this is the 1987 version of uh, the Attitude Era when they had the Kiss My Ass matches. Uh, adding <laughs> insult to injury, right? Or the, or the Jerry the King Lauder, Bret Hart, Suck My Toe match. Making your opponent do something after the match to add insult to injury is what this match was all about. And both of these guys, they're towards their, the end of their run with the WWF. I think Junkyard retires either later this year or at the beginning of, of the next. And so they definitely were past their prime. It was a very short match, but it actually had quite a bit of interest. Like I remember Junkyard Dog getting a crazy ovation when he came out, like people were excited to see him. They were pulling for him, but yeah, he ended up losing that match and he did bow at the end. It wasn't a grand gesture by any means. It was a slight bow. And then he went back on the offensive and attacked King Harley race. But when you have somebody 
who's the gimmick of the king, adding a loser must bow. Kind of a nice touch. JYD is another one, Jay, that does not get nearly the amount of credit he deserves for just how gigantic of a star he was. Not in just WWF in, in that time frame, because he was one of their major stars, but you know, obviously Mid-South, he was, and Ron Simmons was telling me this story before we went live uh, on the air for our virtual signing Monday, how like, you know, JYD was bigger than Hulk Hogan in Mid-South. He was the Elvis of Mid-South. And he was t- talking about just how over he was. And he was super over in the WWF as well. You know, that time frame, 85, 86, 87, that's a name we do not hear enough about as far as being one of those iconic 80 stars. JYD is up there on the top of the charts, no question about it. I think during your Coco Beware signing, I think Coco said something very similar to he was just as over as Hogan down south that people loved JYD. And I think you're right. I think he played a key part in the early success of bringing WWF to the mainstream. But I think he's one of those characters that is often lost in history because his contribution to uh, wrestling in general was huge. And he was part of the Hogan cartoon in the early 80s. Like He had a prominent spot on that Definitely. roster. And so I do. I think you're right. I think people forget about him, and he doesn't get talked about today as much as he deserves. You know, you know what might be an interesting episode in the future, Jay, when you were just saying that? Maybe we can do in the future sometime wrestlers from that era that don't get the credit that they deserve for just how big of an impact they had on the industry. And, and, and JYD is definitely one of them. I think Tito Santana is another name that – you know, you don't hear enough of how he was a major star back in that time frame. So I think there's several names out there that we've mentioned over the past several weeks of, uh, of the podcast that, you know, just, they don't get as much credit as they deserve for the impact they had on the industry. I think that might make for an interesting topic in the future. That'd be a fantastic conversation to have. Well, next up is someone that needs uh, uh, no introduction and uh, a tag team that needs an introduction. There was another team that was part of the virtual signing series we've had uh, a couple months back, and it was the Dream Team. Greg DeHammer Valentine and Brutus Beefcake, two of the big names from the, the 80s uh, teaming up here, managed by Luscious Johnny V. And they also had Dino Bravo in their corner against the Rougeau brothers, Jacques and Raymond. Uh, this match saw the Dream Team win after Dino Bravo got involved. And uh, probably the most important part of this match was this was the beginning of a face turn for Brutus Beefcake, which later on in the show, he would become Brutus the Barber Beefcake. And uh, he was one of the top baby faces for the, the next few years after that. So what's your take on this one, Jay? You know, I think that, like you said, the big story out of this match is the Beefcake face turn. The Dream Team was a fantastic team, and they had a great run. And so on one hand, you're bummed to see a great team split up. Now, as a kid, they were, you know, the the heel team, and so you weren't heartbroken then. But just looking back, that was a good team, and to see a team split up. But then they both go on to have successful singles run. But that beefcake turn is what people remember from this match. Because like you said, later on in the card, he becomes what everybody knows and loves about him, the barber. Tag team matches, I'm a huge fan of them, especially the way they were done. 
in the 80s. I think tag team, mat, tag team wrestling has gone away from what it should be and what it could be. And so both of these teams, the Fabius Rougeaus and the Dream Team, are both solid tag teams. They put on a great match, and I love a good split when one person turns face. So I think overall this is a very nice part of WrestleMania three. And, and uh, Beefcake's another name. If we ever do that episode, he has to be on it as far as not getting the credit he deserves for how big of an impact he had during that, that era. A lot of times people make fun of him or saying, you know, oh, all these different characters he had and blah, blah, blah. He wasn't a great worker. Let me tell you something. During that time frame, he was one of the top stars in that entire company. And he was just as over as pretty much anyone else in the business at that time. So he's someone that definitely needs to be in the list of uh, people that contributed a lot to the product at that time that doesn't get the credit that uh, they deserve. He's, he's definitely the perfect example of what we're just talking about. Absolutely. And, and if you fast forward to the SummerSlam match where Hogan needs a partner to go against Savage and Zeus from the No Holds Barred movie, they went with Piper. Like he was the, he was an over baby face that could fit into a main event type scenario. And I think you're right. I think people rag on him because especially when he went to WCW, just the amount of gimmicks and characters that he ended up portraying. Some people say, you know, that he's Hogan's friend and that's the only reason he had any success. But if you look at his in ring work and look at the matches he had, and the amount of popularity he had in the 80s, he was a talent, and he deserves to be remembered as a talent. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy that they finally inducted him into the Hall of Fame because he definitely deserved it. Uh, next up was to talk about Brutus, is where he became officially a babyface in this match because it was a hair versus hair match featuring Rowdy Roddy Piper against Adrian Adonis with Jimmy Hart. This was obviously one of the headline matches for WrestleMania three. They did a tremendous job uh, building this match up. And uh, I remember with the Piper's pits and the flower shot, it was, just, it was very well done. And uh, this was definitely one of the highlights of WrestleMania three for me. And this was billed as Piper's retirement match. He yes, was sir. going off to do other things. And so this had a real unique feel to it. Because even in the interviews leading up to the match, Piper's referencing, this is it for him. This, he's, he's leaving after this match, win, lose, or draw. This is it for him. And so it had a real unique feel to it. And hair versus hair, you know, I'm a bald guy, so I can't really say too much. But hair versus <laughs> hair is a fun stipulation from back in the day. When you would have a hair versus hair match, like you're putting something uh, on the line and you got to remember in the eighties, like hair was a big deal, you know, for men and women, like eighties is a decade of big hair. And so hair meant something. And so to have a, a hair versus hair match was always a fun stipulation that added just that little extra point of interest into a match like this. I'd like to see them bring that back since we're on the road to WrestleMania. I would like to see them bring that gimmick back hair versus hair match because that has a WrestleMania feel to it. That has a marquee that you throw up on the billboard. And, and, and even if you do, 
if you even do hair versus mask match, which I know that they flirted the idea in the past, but they never did it. Have Rey Mysterio in there, man, and, and someone else put up their he puts up his mask and someone else puts up their hair. Just that hair versus hair match or hair versus mask match, it just has a marquee to it that you throw up on the billboard and it sells. They should definitely do it. Uh, what regardless of what's Mysterio, do hair versus hair? I just think that match means something. What's the most recent hair match that you remember? I don't, I don't, I don't remember. It, I don't. I remember when Vince McMahon got his head shaved, but that was years ago. Was that the last main like hair versus hair stipulation? I, I believe it might have been. Yeah, you know, I haven't seen that done for a while. So that's a great uh, gimmick and great stipulation match and, and a marquee match in my opinion. They should definitely go back to that. Uh, have, they ever done up, a, have they ever done a women's hair versus hair match? Uh, we'd have to research that, but that would be. Yeah, I don't know. Why do you do, be, do you want to do you want to see that? I was just I'm I was just thinking like that would really add a little bit of because if you want to see that, Jay, we can have uh, and hear me out. You can have your wife against my wife, and the loser gets her head shaved. And I'll but I'll put it I'll put it on my next Monday Night Virtual, and we do like a little pay per view on it. What do you think? Well, I, I, if I say yes, this will be our last podcast together. <laughs> so I, better, I better run that one by the missus before I sign on the dotted line for that match. <laughs> Next up was a six-man tag team match, which featured the Hart Foundation teaming up with Danny Davis against Tito Santana and the British Bulldogs. This was Danny Davis's debut in the ring as a wrestler under Danny Davis, but Danny Davis, and I want to talk about him for a second. He's someone, he's an interesting name because he was with the WWF from 1981. He debuted as a uh, referee and he was a wrestler for many years there as Mr. X, which uh, if you remember from the early eighties, Mr. X, that was actually Danny Davis. And uh, he, he was there from eight, 1981 and he was with the company to 1995. That's a long, long run to be with the company. So he's someone that you never hear his name. And he was a great contributor to uh, to the WWF product for many years. Yeah, and he was a special guest at your first in-person 80s wrestling con uh, in New Jersey. I got to meet him at your wrestling con. And, and great guy. And yeah, he holds a special part. Uh, in wrestling history. And I love when you can have a referee be part of a storyline and make it matter. And that's exactly what they did with Danny Davis. Absolutely. Another memory I have as a kid, Jay, is I remember being at the Meadowlands Arena in East Rutherford, New Jersey, and the main event was George the Animal Stale against Danny Davis in a steel cage match. I remember seeing that as a kid. So Danny Davis was over as a heel at that time. He was headlining some of the shows against some of the you know the bigger baby faces. But he was a great character and he was a, a great referee. You don't you don't hear enough about him, and I think that he might be someone I might have to bring in soon for uh, the Monday Night Virtual. So what did you think about this WrestleMania three match? I know as a kid you're a huge British Bulldogs fan. You're obviously a fan of Danny Davis. What did you think of the six-man tag format? Because at this time, the Hart Foundation are the champs, but they're not having – it's not a title match. This is a six-man 
tag match, and I think it had something to do with uh, Dynamite Kid's back injury at the time. I could be mistaken. Maybe you know. But what do you think about the six-man format for WrestleMania three? I, I thought again. I thought it was another attraction uh, to the show. I would have rather have seen the Hart Foundation go one on one with the Bulldogs. That would have been awesome. But uh, that might have been the reason why you said that. I I, I didn't hear that, but that that could be true. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it was great for what it was. It was you know it was an attraction. Uh, I definitely would have liked to saw the, the Hearts against the Bulldogs one on one. That would have been even more awesome. It would have been. I think that. I think in a perfect world we would have got that tag team championship match because at WrestleMania three the tag titles not being defended is kind of odd. And I'm pretty sure it had something to do with Dynamite Kids back at the time. But that match also included um, Tito Santana, who you just talked about being a great talent of that time and not getting the attention that he deserved. So a lot of big names, a lot of Hall of Fame type names in this matchup. Uh, And so, yeah, it's a big match on the card for sure. Absolutely. And next up was Butch Reed. Uh, with Slick defeating Coco Beware. Uh, we just talked about last week, Butch unfortunately passed away. And mm-hmm. uh, Coco, and, and by the way, I loved Butch Reed as a heel in WWF with, with Slick. I think he was very underutilized as far as uh, a talent being the natural Butch Reed. I, I, I thought he was a great worker. I thought he had a great character. I think that they could have done more with him. Uh, and Coco Beware is another one. If we ever do that episode, he has to be in the list of of, of performers that really contributed to the product in that time. It doesn't get their just due. Uh, Coco was, was real popular and, and he was also, you know, the, the voice behind the power driver video and that popularity of that. And uh, I, I think that he's another one that gets overlooked as far as, uh, you know, being as over as he was at the time and contributing to the product. I was a big um well, maybe not then I wasn't, but now looking back, I love Butch Reed and what he did in the ring and just his look at WrestleMania three when he had the blonde hair, like he just looked cool. And as a kid, you know, how as a kid, you would pretend to be a wrestler when you're playing with your wrestling buddies or whatever. And then when video games came out where you could create a character, you'd always create yourself in the video game. I would always give myself the moniker, the natural. I just love that as a gimmick name, the natural. Well, I, okay. not to cut you off, but you are a natural on, on the microphone, by the way. Well, I, I appreciate that, man, but it's, I don't know if it's true, but I love, I love the moniker for wrestler, the natural. Cause it just means born like born to do it. It just comes easy to this guy and Butch Reed man, what a talent. Uh, and you just had Ron Simmons on and he shared some stories about Butch Reed. And so, like we said last week, it's sad when you lose uh, one of your childhood heroes in the world of professional wrestling, but, uh, yeah, Coco Beware, again, another huge name. You had him on as a signing. He's had a great career. And so this is a great little match between Butch Reed and Coco Beware. Tito Santana comes in and gets involved. And so, yeah, it's not a. It wasn't a huge main event type spot, but it was a nice match on on this giant card. Absolutely, and the next match was uh, the worst match of, of the evening. <laughs> it was such a dud. I, I can't believe they even put it on the show. That these guys just couldn't seem to gel with each other. 
And uh, that was Ricky the Dragon Steamboat capturing the intercontinental title against Macho Man Randy Savage with Miss Elizabeth, George Animal Steel, in Ricky Steamboat's corner, obviously um, being very sarcastic. What a classic. Uh, I can remember it like it was yesterday, and I'm sure you could as well. This is what fans still debate could be the greatest WrestleMania match of all time. Macho Man Randy Savage against Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Classic match. Now, this was at a time in professional wrestling, especially in the WWF, where matches tended to have a slower-paced, more methodical-type feel. This match was fast-paced, had false finishes, you didn't know who was going to come out on top. And it's one of those matches where still today, when I think about it, when I talk about it, sometimes I have to pause and go, who ended up winning that one? Because the winner of that match wasn't as important as what the match itself has become in the historical look at professional wrestling. Do you, where do you hold it as far as greatest matches, on WrestleMania cards or, or just in general, like where would you place this match on your list? Oh, it has to be, it has to be near the top of the top of the heap. Absolutely. Uh, Couldn't have really had a better match. So these two were just really, really, really just blew the roof off the place. As far as the in-ring ability of both guys, there's just a classic. Just, there's nothing else really, that can be said, and, and the pop that Ricky Steamboat got when he won that Intercontinental title, man, that place exploded uh, when he won that title. So, yeah, man, that was definitely one of the, if not the highlight of WrestleMania three, uh, outside of Hulk Hogan and Andre, obviously. Uh, next up was another uh, big match. It was the Honky Tonk Man with Jimmy Hart in his corner against Jake Roberts with, check this out, Jay, Alice Cooper in his corner. And at the time, 1987, Alice Cooper was gigantic, uh, a gigantic star. And we, we talked about, you know, celebrity involvement in WrestleMania. Uh, this is a big one. You know, I wonder looking at it now, do you think Vince McMahon or anybody else who had control of the card realized how good of a match the Savage Steamboat match was going to be? Because why would you want, how do you follow that? You know, and so one of the ways you follow that is having that celebrity person come down to the ring because then you have attention not just on the match, but you kind of have a pop culture ten, uh, attention on it. You also have Jake the Snake, who's got his pet Damien, so you got a cool gimmick there. We talked about that last week. You also have Honky Tonk Man, who's got his guitar with Jimmy Hart, who's the mouse of the South. So you have a lot of things at play in this match. And I wonder if that was done intentionally because I can't believe those two performers would want to follow the intercontinental title match if they knew what a barn burner it was going to be, but you add in those gimmicks and it kind of gives you a cushion to have attention without your match having to be a classic, like the one you're following. I couldn't say it better myself, Jay. Absolutely. hundred percent. And uh, again, we, we, we talked about guys that didn't get their proper, uh, due of being such a huge uh, attraction and star in that era, Honky Tonk Man, I still think, while people know he was really good, I don't think they realized how good he was. Uh, he was such a great heel. Uh, he headlined countless uh, house shows throughout those few years that he was there, 
when he was running hot as a heel. Fantastic, fantastic character, fantastic heel. I, I, I think even though he's in the Hall of Fame and people know he was uh, a good contributor, I don't think they realize just how good and how big of a part he played in that whole era of uh, WWF in the 80s. He's one of those guys, too, that you're guaranteed to get a crowd reaction from when he comes through that curtain. And that's something that you really can't put a price on or, or point to and say, you know, he was good, he wasn't good. You can't argue with the fact that the Honky Tonk Man got a crowd reaction. Whether you loved him or loved to hate him, you always got a crowd reaction out of the Honky Tonk Man, which is something that, as a performer, that's hard to do every night in every town. And so he was definitely onto something with his gimmick, and he played it perfectly. That's why uh, today, you know, there's so many guys that walk through that curtain, Jay, and there's no reaction. Uh, you see someone like John Cena, you see someone like Roman Reigns. When they walk out, there's a reaction. Whether mm-hmm. it's a positive reaction or a negative reaction, it doesn't matter because the fans are reacting. And that's the main part of being a star uh, in this business is the fans are reacting. And you got it, man. there's not many people out there today that can do that, that can command the attention of an audience. Uh, but yeah, he was one of them uh, in that time frame. Absolutely. Uh, next up was a tag team match with the Iron Cheek and Nikolai Volkov with Slick uh, defeating the Killer Bees by disqualification. Now on paper, you're just reading that. It says Iron Cheek and Nikolai beat the Killer Bees by disqualification. If, if you didn't see it, you didn't realize it was Hacksaw Jim Duggan uh, that ran out with his two by four at the end of the match, which caused the DQ. And uh, I guess that pretty much, you know, put Duggan on the map as being a, a babyface. And he was—he's another one uh, was a major, major, major player from the WWF for those next couple of years as being a big star for the company. So yeah, I think I think this match was more of in, introducing. You know, Hacksaw Jim Duggan as a main character than it was just you know, a tag team match. I got to do my Hacksaw Jim Duggan uh, history report because when you think of Hacksaw, one of the things that you think about is he was that big USA guy. He'd start the USA chant, give you the ho. Is this where the USA thing started for Duggan? Uh, I don't want to say yes if it wasn't, but it, it could have been. It might have been. Uh, I, I remember he came out with a flag on his two by four. So it could have been the introduction of that character. Yeah. Cause that's one, I mean, at least for me, when I think of Jim Duggan, I think of one of the patriotic wrestlers, like he was all about the USA and defending uh, the stars and the bars. And so this might've been where it started. I'll have to do some research, but I love Duggan as a kid. Like he's another one that captures your attention for sure. As a kid, two by four American flag, big powerhouse guy, never had a significant, title run uh, wasn't on top of many of the, of the cards as far as main eventing, but he was a mainstay on your TV. He was a mainstay in your Hasbro wrestling figure collection. And so I'm a big Duggan guy, but I, yeah, I got to do some research. I wonder if this is where his USA uh, started. If it wasn't, it was right at the beginning of it. Absolutely. He might've debuted that character maybe a, a month or two prior to that. But I mean, that was his big introduction being on that main stage in front of that many people. And those people were all there for one reason and one reason only. And that was the main event. Hulk Hogan defending the world wrestling federation heavyweight championship against Andre the giant, 
with Bobby Heenan in his corner. Hulk Hogan retains the title in 12 minutes and one second. I can't think, it's hard to think of any match that had as much buildup, as much hype, as it was just so well done with, with these guys from when, you know, uh, from the first time they, they, they started on Piper's Pit, which I mentioned at the top of the show that I was there for. Just a tremendous, tremendous job building this match. Now, even if you remember on Saturday night's main event when they were in the battle royal with each other, just like they, they just they just told this story absolutely perfectly. They took their time with it, and uh, it could be the greatest angle and match. Not not as far as wrestling moves go or moonsaults and all that stuff, but the most important, the biggest, the most successful match of all time. You're exactly right. In my book, this is the most important match in the history of professional wrestling, especially the World Wrestling Federation. Was it a technical classic? Not by any stretch of the imagination. Was it the match that put this WrestleMania on the map? Absolutely. Was it the match that drew a ton of mainstream attention and brought eyes to the product? Absolutely. Was this the match that passed the torch and cemented Hulk Hogan? Absolutely. This, the importance of this match in the grand scheme of wrestling, you can't overstate it. This was the match that needed to happen to propel Hulkamania, to propel the World Wrestling Federation. Like This was the match. I hold this as the most important match in the history of wrestling. Absolutely. And uh, that match alone, along with that audience, uh, for me personally, it's my all time favorite between, and obviously, you know, Ricky and, and uh, Macho Man too, uh, between all that, that it's my favorite WrestleMania to this day out of all of them. How about you, Jay? This is the WrestleMania. Like, this is the granddaddy of them all. WrestleMania's three is the cornerstone of WrestleMania's. Um, yes, the first one was, was groundbreaking. It needed to happen. The second one was a very interesting follow-up with the three-venue event. But WrestleMania three, like, if you're not a wrestling fan, you know Hulk Hogan versus Andre the Giant. Like, you just know that. It's part of pop culture. And so it's, you, can't, you can't argue about the significance of this event and this match. People would have paid just to see this match if it was the only match on the card. If this match wasn't on the card, we're not setting it into our attendance record, I don't think. And so this, this match set the pay-per-view in its place in history. And I think, I could be wrong, but I'm going to say it with authority so you believe me. I think this is the first match, the Hogan-Andre match, where Andre wears the black singlet. And when I think of Andre the Giant, I think of the black singlet. And so this is the match where that first came into our, our realm of, of seeing and understanding. And so I think this match holds such importance. And this, this whole pay-per-view holds such importance. Absolutely. Uh, it was a really fun pay-per-view to watch. It's, it's something I want to go back to now and, and watch it after we just – uh, talked about it. I, I actually went back and watched WrestleMania 2 after we talked about the WrestleMania 2 episode, and I think I'm going to do the same with this one, Jay. Just a, a, a classic pay-per-view. Such 
history making pay-per-view and, and just like I said, just seeing the sea of people along with the celebrity involvement. Like we mentioned, Alice Cooper was there. Bob Euchre was there. Mary Hart was there. I know there's several celebrities. Aretha Franklin uh, kicked off the show. There's just so many uh, big names involved in it as well. Uh, it's definitely, definitely, definitely the WrestleMania, like you said. I'm going to agree with you on that one. Uh, but, yeah, anyone out there that has any requests as far as future episodes go, feel free to shoot us a message and let us know uh, what you'd like to listen to us talk about. Uh, WrestleMania 2 we did, WrestleMania 3 did, and WrestleMania uh, is coming up on April 10th and 11th. If you want us to talk about some more WrestleManias, let us know. It, it's, it's fun for us to uh, relive our childhood with you guys and, and talk about uh, you know the, the WrestleManias we grew up on as a kid. I think it would be really fun to do WrestleMania 4, that title tournament. Man, that's one of my favorite WrestleManias as well. WrestleMania 5 with Hogan and Savage. WrestleMania 6 with Hogan and Warrior. So if you like the concept of us talking about WrestleManias, well, we can definitely talk about more. Uh, shoot me a message on my personal Facebook page, Tommy Fierro, or you can send us a message on the 80s Wrestling Instagram page, at 80s Wrestling. On Twitter, you can send us a message, 80s Wrestling underscore. Let us know uh, what you'd like to hear us talk about next week. If it's WrestleMania 4 or 5 or 6 or a different topic, uh, we're taking requests. Uh, like I said, like uh, like horrible karaoke singers, right, Jay? <laughs> exactly. Like the absolute worst karaoke singers. Uh, we love requests because it means you're listening and you're engaged, and that's what we want. Um, and if you haven't yet seen one of Tommy's virtual signings, I'm telling you, you need to do yourself a favor and check them out. Each one just keeps getting better and better and there are some huge names coming down the pipeline we're talking about wrestlemania tommy's got virtual mania coming down the pipeline with so many big names if you're a fan of 80s wrestling go to 80swrestlingcon.com check out the virtual signing calendar see who's coming grab some photos get some merch and tune in on the facebook live stream because it is the must-see thing on monday nights Thanks, man. And, and like I said, we're, we're expanding it to more dates and, and we're opening it up to uh, wrestlers from the 90s, 2000s, even more currently, because if we keep doing this, unfortunately, we're going to run out of 80s guys, like I mentioned last week. So we're incorporating some more current guys into the mix as well, just to, to spice it up a little bit. We have Billy Gunn coming up in, in June. We have, we have uh, Eric Rowan and Darren Young coming up in May. We have Tyrus, uh, who, who's a big star now on Fox. And we had him coming up in, in July along with Dean Malenko. We have an ECW-style uh, virtual signing called Extreme Virtual Signing on April 19th. Uh, there's a lot of cool stuff coming up. Like you mentioned, Virtual Mania is going to be our only uh, non-Monday signing. It's going to be on Sunday, March 28th, and that's with Jake the Snake Roberts, the Orient Express, Skinner, and Haku. So uh, for more information on all these signings, you can head over to 80swrestlingcon.com. And then before we sign off, Tommy, for the people that live in the Wayne, New Jersey area, please give us an update on your brick-and-mortar store that will be opening there shortly. Yeah, man, I've been up in the, I've been up at the store the last you know couple of weeks. Uh, we're redoing the whole store, getting it ready. And it looks like we're going to be opening 
on St. Patrick's Day. That is the working plan right now. And uh, the, the, uh, the theme is going to be we're going to be pile driving St. Patrick's Day. And uh, stay tuned to the social media accounts, my personal Facebook page, for the exact date and location of the store. But right now the working plan is going to be St. Patrick's Day, which uh, is going to be really cool. So I'm pretty sure it will be, re- it will be ready by then. And uh, just for 100% confirmation, just keep following the social media pages and uh, my personal Facebook as well. If, if you're not friends with me on Facebook, feel free to add me, Tommy Fierro with two R's. And I post all my stuff on there as well. But yeah, Jay, it looks like it's going to be uh, a, a March 17th, St. Patrick's Day opening. And uh, the Wrestling Collector will become a reality real soon. I know that I have texted you pictures. You saw a bunch of the pictures. And just quickly, you can explain to them what the store looks like if they, if they don't have to see a picture of it. Listen, this store is going to be one of those must-go-to destinations for fans of professional wrestling, especially fans of the golden era of professional wrestling. Tommy's got framed posters of old cards, main events, the whole card. These framed posters are absolutely gorgeous. He's got walls dedicated uh, to certain wrestlers, Andre the Giant. He's got these framed posters of the Ultimate Warrior. He's got figures. Uh, he sent me a picture the other day of a TV that was running. It might have been WrestleMania 3 that it was running. It's got old school clips. What? WrestleMania 3 clips going. This is one of those stores that you're going to have to plan not only to go to, but to spend some time at just to kind of look at the memorabilia that's on display, the products and merchandise that will be for sale. I got a feeling Tommy's going to be the kind of guy who you can stand at the counter and talk old school wrestling with. Uh, is checking out. And so I think this is going to be one of those destinations where fans just love to be in the environment because it takes you back to your childhood. It takes you back to the golden era of wrestling. It surrounds you with the things that you love from your childhood. Like it's just gonna be one of those feel good places. And so I can't wait to visit it myself. I'm jealous of everyone who lives in the New Jersey, the Wayne area, because they're going to be able to get there first and kind of soak up all that goodness right away. Actually, it's going to be in, it's going to be about a half hour north of uh, Wayne. It's going to be in Sussex County, right on Route 23. Uh, So, yeah, it's about a half hour north of Wayne. But, yeah, anyone that lives in the New Jersey area, please continue to to, uh, follow us on social media because we'll be making the the announcement real soon. But plan 99.9% is going to be St. Patrick's Day. But I don't want to say 100% until I actually make the graphic up. But. That's that's the working plan. So we'll have more information on that next week, is sure. And uh, I guess uh, anything else you want to talk about before we head out? No, this was a great conversation. Uh, great virtual signing on Monday with Ron Simmons. Got another one coming up. We are just living the dream, getting to talk about '80s wrestling. So thank you all for joining us this week. Absolutely, man. Until next week. I hope everyone has a great weekend. Hope you tune in to the Powers of Pain. Uh, virtual signing this Monday. Again, 80swrestlingcon.com. You can order your photos now. And until then, we'll see you next week right here on 80s Wrestling, the podcast. <laughs>